Welcome back for another week. Our learning is dedicated to Lila Nishma, Rivka by Yaakov Alevi, Lucy Maya, and Rina D. Our full year sponsors, Naomi Nitzi Hallander, Complete Refuel for All Cholim, Michelle and Gary Friedman, Memory of Chana Malka, Bat David and Refuel Shlema for Rachel, Miral Hinda, Bat Miriam Rivka. Our half year sponsor, Refuel Shlema for Menucha Tova, Bat Shoshana Chava Devora. Our Spotify sponsor, Refuah Shleima for all those injured in Eretz Yisrael, and really just a continued tefillah for all the uh, all the chayalim. And we daven for Refuah Shleima for Yedidi Chaimer of Yeruf Chaya, Bracha Vigal Bar Rachel Gita, Tila Batya Bar Chaya Tova, Shemem Ben Elka, and Shaduchim for all those in need. Welcome back for Perek Yud. So last time when we left off, Shmuel calls Shaul aside and says, "Send your lad ahead. Send the nar ahead. I want to talk just to you." So fine. So we want to know what exactly is going on. He's only going to talk to him. What exactly does that mean? He has something important to tell him. The last time he takes him up to the roof, an interesting idea that Das Mikra suggests is he's taking him to these high places. Why? Because the message, the message that he needs to hear is that he's going to this exalted place. I, I think that that's very, very important for Shal to hear. He has to understand the loftiness of his position. And it's interesting because in Pasuch of Zion, of Perak Tet, what does it say? Hey, you're dim. They're going down. Perhaps the imagery of being high up and going down is specifically telling us that that is exactly the balance that the king that the king has to walk. On the one hand, he is Ole, Lamala, Lamala. He is one of the most exalted places. It's amazing. It's huge responsibility. If he doesn't do it properly, what ends up happening is he ends up going yoraid. He goes downward. So what happens in Pasuk Aleph? Shmuel takes a pach shemen. He takes a, a jug of oil. And he pours it on his head. And he kisses him. He says to him, God has appointed you. You have been anointed and appointed as a Nagid. He's not a king. He's not a king. A Nagid, we said last week at the very end, is a it's like a, a shepherd. You're a Mora Derech. You're intended to lead the people, but you're not lording over them. It's a huge, huge difference. That Mikra has a beautiful picture. This jug on the screen is uh, from the times of the Shoftim. <laughs> Excuse me. From the from the times of the Shoftim. So you see what the jug looked like. Das Mikra also says that he does not use um, oil, Shemana Mishcha, like is used for David, but he uses a different, a different kind of oil. And there is even a message in there that that's the reason why it's not long-lasting. It's not to say because of that oil, but because it was known to God that it wasn't going to be long-lasting to use a different kind of oil to kind of subtly hint that this is a temporary, not long-term solution. Vaishakeyu says that Mikra Nishikash He kisses him. It's a kiss of greatness. When Shmuel Zacha Rak Shmuel Shaul. Shaul is the only one to get this. This is to show us that Shmuel loved Shaul, meaning even though 
the people rebelled against them by asking for a king. He loved Shaul, who he considered the Bechir Hashem, the choice of God. And he is going to he's going to work really hard to uh to make him be successful. Okay, that is Pasuk. That is Pasuk Aleph. So what happens? He says to him, listen, I need you to know the following. There are gonna be three signs that will happen to you along the way. When you go from us today, you're going to see with you, you're going to find two people, im kfurat Rachel, with kfurat Rachel, at kfurat Rachel, at kever Rachel, begvul binyamin, which is on the border of binyamin, betzeltzach, in a place called tzeltzach. And they're going to say to you the following, the donkeys that your father sent you to find have been found. And your father has turned his attention from there. He doesn't care anymore. He's now nervous, saying, what happened to my son? There's so much to unpack in that puzzle. First off, two people. And their message is the donkeys have been found. Where does he see them? He sees them in a place called Tzeltzach. Where does it also tell us? It also tells us that Tzeltzach is by Kever Rachel. Now the problem is, if you look at the map, Tzeltzach is up in the area of Binyamin, clearly being told, Bigvul Binyamin, Beit Lechem, which I added on to the bottom of the map, Beit Lechem is not at all in the area of Binyamin. Which leaves us with a big question. Was Kever Rachel the place that he meets these two men? Marie Cross says no. Marie Cross says, at this present moment that I am talking to you, Shaul, you should just know that the two men are in Kever Rachel. But by the time you'll meet them, where will you meet them? You're going to meet them in Seltzach. Marie Krug gets around it all together. Fascinating question. Fascinating question is, where is Kever Rachel? Now, it happens to be that today, the day of the recording, Erev Rosh Chodesh, my wife went to Kever Rachel. Where is Kever Rachel? Of course, we know that Kever Rachel that we, you know, daven by is by Beit Lechem. It is on the way to Efrat, Derech Efrata. There is actually an opinion that that's not where Kever Rachel is. Now, I don't want to cause too many, too much of a wave here. I try not to disturb too much, but I think that it's an interesting question. Yaakov is coming back from, um, Yaakov, when, when Rachel dies, is coming back from Haran. He's probably passing in around Gilgal down there, maybe by Yericho. Perhaps he had crossed over the Jordan around there. He's coming down, he's coming down, and then all of a sudden she dies. He has to bury her. Now, where does she die? We're told, Now, there is another place that tradition has that could have been Kever Rachel, and that is a place called Ein Prat, Many people have, have hiked it. 
They know it more as Wadi Kelt. That's what it's called also. And the area is near where Yirmiyahu eventually is going to live in the city of Anatot. All beautiful. Why does any of this matter? Because that area is actually right above where it says on the map, Giv'ah. That's near Tzeltzach. And so it's possible one of two things. Either the Kever Rachel that we're talking about is not the Kever Rachel that we daven at today. That's a possibility. Alternatively, if you don't want to go that way, Marie Cross says, I'll get you all, I'll get you out of that. They were at Kever Rachel. They're coming to Tzeltach. How will Shaul know they're the right people? Because when you make conversation, where are you coming from? Oh, we're coming from Kever Rachel. And be like, same person. That is exactly what I was told. Okay. Now, in this Pasuk, besides all that, there's like this conversation that's going on. But we see something amazing. See, when Shaul said to his young lad in Perek Tet Pasuk, hey, we have to go turn around. He says that my father is nervous Lanu for us. But the truth is revealed at the end of this Pasuk. His concern is, what happened to my son? Is my son okay? So again, in these Psukim, what we come away with is a sense of the humility of our main character, Shaul, who is about to become the king. Or in a certain sense, just became the king. That is sign one. You're going to leave from there, turn from there. You're going to come to Elon Tavor. What is Elon Tavor? Elon is alone, is a type of tree. In, in the Gush, there is the community of Alon Shvut. It is the tree, alone that they returned to. That's where it gets its name, the massive tree at the end, at the entrance um, to the Gush Etzion area. Okay, so that's beautiful. So alone, most of the Mepharshim say that it's it's a tree Tavor, a famous tree Tavor. Now I was thinking Tavor, we know hard Tavor. It's all the way, it's all the way up north. We're not. It doesn't seem like we're talking about that at all. It seems like we are fairly local to the area of Binyamin. And this map over here with Mitzpah on it twice, Tzeltzach, Giva, Gilgal, and Beit Lechem is really the totality of where we're talking about. But there is an alone that we know, a famous alone, which is not far from Mitzpah, Beit El, Tzeltzach, this whole discussion that we're having, and that is alone Bachut. Where? Where do we know about alone Bachut? In Parshat Vayishlach, right before um, they caught, right before Rachel dies, they stop at a place and they bury all this stuff from Shechem, and it's called Alon Bachut. Okay, so that perhaps, perhaps is what we're talking about. And there you're going to find three people. And they're going up to see, to God in Beit El. Three people carrying three different things. They have three animals, three loaves of bread, and they have one 
one jar, one pouch of wine. And they'll ask you how you're doing. And they're going to give you two loaves of bread and you're going to take it. Three men on their way to bring a carbon greet you and give you bread. That is sign number two. Okay. Next. Achar Kane. You're going to come afterwards to Givatelukim. You're going to come to the, the valley of God. And that is the place of Nitzive Plishtim, where there are Nitzive Plishtim. Now, Nitzur Tzion says Nitzive Plishtim are Pekide Plishtim. And, and Rashi seems to say the same thing. What are these? These are officers, Plishti officers. But that Nikra is a fascinating explanation. He says Nitzivei could be from Nitziv Melech. Lot's wife becomes a Nitziv Melech. What does it mean she becomes a pillar of salt? What is a pillar? A pillar is a monument. Could be that there's a monument here in honor of the Plishti victory over the Jewish people. When you come into the city, you're going to bump into a group, a band of Nevi'im, coming down from the Bama. There was no real place for the Mikdash at this point. So they were allowed to bring Korbanot and Bamot. Those are outdoor uh, altars that they had. And they have all their instruments. There are four different types of instruments, and they are mitnabim. They are te- they are giving nivua. Most of the mafarshim point out why do they have the music there? Because in order to have nivua, a person has to be in a good mood. Now, how do you get into a good mood? How do you get into a good mood when bad things are happening? The plishtim are winning. This place is which means that either of two things are happening. Either at this very present moment that they're coming down from the Mizbeach, they see the officers of the Plishtim. These are the people that punish them, that torture them, that torment them. How could you be happy? Alternatively, alternatively, we're talking that you, you come and pass a monument to the loss, the Jewish loss of the Plishtim, that's equally painful. How can you celebrate? How do you celebrate under those circumstances? So I want to share with you a story that happened to me last week. On Thursday night, my my daughter asked me, can I walk her up to a, a an event in our community for all the children, all the girls in her group of Ezra? It's like the youth movement here in uh, in our community. And we're walking up, and I honestly don't know what it is, but I know that she has multiple events a week, and they're usually, they play games, they, they, they have an opportunity to connect with their madricha. It's inspiring. We're walking up, and we know where it's supposed to be, and we hear music, so much music coming out of the chanaya, out of the parking lot that they are supposed to be going into. And she ran ahead and said, thanks, Abba, I'm good. She ran off and had had a great time. But it struck me. How? How are they able to dance? But maybe that's what has to happen. Sometimes when things are bad, so we have to do. We have to dance. These chayalim that are going into Gaza, and you see these videos, they're so powerful of them 
getting themselves all psyched up by singing what? It's inspiring. It changes your mindset. You could be depressed, but you say, no, these are the words that I live by. Beautiful idea. How could it be that a Navi is going to have Nevoi has to be happy. How could you be happy under these circumstances? Get the people riled up. You sing music from the heart accompanied by different instruments. And you know what happens? It changes. It changes the way that people are thinking. Says says Shmuel, remember, none of this happened yet. This is just what's going to happen. Sign number three. You're going to bump into these Nevi'im. They're going to have instruments. And when when that happens, the Spirit of God will envelop you and you will have Nevu'ah with them. And you'll be a different person when it's over. Three signs. Now, what is, I think, amazing is that there is no question that there are patterns Patterns to be had in these signs. Number one is the increasing numbers. Two men, three men, a group of men. And I'll give you better than that, says Rav Bazak. Two, the men. Three, the men. Four are the types of instruments. Two, three, and four. Each interaction, here's another pattern. Each interaction is more meaningful. More deep, more deep and more significant. The first two people say, your donkeys have been found. There's no profound conversation there. Just go home. The second one, they give you a gift. When you give someone a gift, it means that you, you care or you honor and respect the person. And in the fourth, in the third one, there is, there's actually this, he becomes part of their group and they're not just any group but they're a group of inspired people who are prophesizing. They're communicating with God. Perhaps there's a third pattern here. And I think this is the most significant of all of them. He is not the same person at the end that he was at the beginning. Not in their eyes and not in his own eyes. The first two people, they're shooting the breeze. Where are you from? Kevrachel. Where are you? Oh, you're Shaul. Your dad's looking for you. In the second case, they they honor him. And in the third, he becomes part of these ranks. I think it's not only that they look at him as more, but Shaul himself is supposed to see himself. He's not just a regular person anymore. He's bigger than that. He's more than that. He matters more. Why? Because he's about to become the king. The question, though, that we have to understand is why is this here? And by why here, I don't mean why these three interactions, but why specifically in this area? Why does it have to happen here? Why can't it happen somewhere else? Now, the simple answer might be, he's, this is where he is. He, he's meeting up in Ramat, in, uh, in Ramat Sofim, up in the house of Shmuel, and he's going home. And this is the way home. These are the things he's going to pass on his way home. But maybe, maybe there's a deeper explanation. 
I heard bits and pieces of this from Rav Bazak, from Rav Alex Israel. That Mikra talks about it. And here's, here's their take on it. Yaakov Avinu came back from Haran and he goes through this area. And it's in this area, which by the way, is the area of Shevet Binyamin. That's the area that his wife dies. Where she's buried, I'm not going to say. But she dies in the area-ish of Binyamin. And certainly the, the, the most important pieces of the story, even if she doesn't die, let's say she dies all the way by Beit Lechem practically. But all these things happen right beforehand. Beit El, Alon Bachu, the, there's a nevuah that he that Yaakov gets in Beit El. It all happens here. What's the nevuah he gets? The nevuah he gets is umlachim mechalatzecha yeitzayu. Kings will come from within you. The thing is that all of his ki- eleven of his kids were born, and Dina, eleven of his sons and, and his one daughter were born already. So if this is a prophecy about something that is still going to come mechalatzecha from your loins, it didn't happen yet. So who's it talking about? It has to be talking about Binyamin. Binyamin is going to have the king come from him. Now, that's not exactly what we expected. If one didn't know this story, we would actually be pretty surprised that Binyamin is going to host the king, the first king of the Jewish people, because we assume that Malchus comes from Yehuda. Why is it here? They follow the route of her death and the birth of Binyamin, because this is the place that she earned the right to host the king. And so the announcement, the proclamation, the acceptance of this new person, Shaul, who's going to become the first king, it's only appropriate that it happens in the area that it all started. The earliest echoes, the earliest prophecies, the earliest thoughts that Binyamin would host and have a king was in this area. Before we go on, I think we have to ask a question of what is the purpose of these signs? So the overwhelming majority of the Mepharshim say something very simple. Humility. That's what it's all about. You want to be the king, you have to be humble. Is there anyone who is more humble than Shaul? Seemingly not. At every corner, at every step, you see him. I don't want the I don't want the attention. We're gonna see it gets it gets even more. So that that's a possibility. A major possibility is that these psukim show us the humility of Shaul. But perhaps there's another answer. And for this, it's really two sides of the same coin. But ironically, on the penny we have the idea, actually on both sides, on, on the front side of the pen. You see, the king is a unique, it's a unique position in Am Yisrael. When we think of kings, we think of rulers, that whatever they say goes, the people work for them. There's no question who's in charge. That's typically how we view kingship. In this parak, what Shaul is being told is, listen, I'm sending you off. 
You're going to become a Navu, a Navi in your own right. You're not going to need me to give you every single word in your own right. These are all amazing things. Shaul is told, I'm giving you liberty, independence. Go do it. That's the beauty of a king. But the flip side of the coin is, in God we trust. Only works. Only works. If the king is completely completely subordinate to God. If not, it's going to be a fail. Too much liberty, he fails. But on the other hand, don't forget, too much God is going to take care? It's not going to work either. I want to share with you a beautiful vart I heard from Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg earlier today. We have no one to lean on but HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What does that mean? See, if you're going to lean on something, you need to be near that thing. If I'm standing in the middle of the room and I want to lean on the wall, if I make that attempt, I'm going to smack my head on the floor. In order to be able to lean on God, you have to come closer to God. So I think that's actually exactly what happens with the king. You have to have this faith in God to come close to God. But you also have to have the independence. If you're not independent on your own, it is going to be a complete fail. When these things happen to you, do what you want. You're now the king. You rule. Now, Rav Yigal says something amazing. I loved it. You want to understand who Shaul is? Look at him. You see, he's a straight arrow. He cares. Atzilut, tzniut, baishanut. He's humble. He's modest. He's embarrassed. He was a prince before he became the king. There are some people that are just so good. It's just who they are. That is Shaul. He learns to become a seeker of God. He's not the same person. Shaul that we met, donkey searcher at the beginning of Paragtet, is not the kid that we're meeting anymore. He takes him up to the roof. He anoints him. He kisses him. Tries to explain to him what is special about the king of Israel. The path home matters. That's where the journey ends. Each time he grows and grows and grows. Rav Yigal says that's the purpose of these signs. Is that Shaul has to see. He has to understand the growth that he is making as a person every step along the way. Rav Yigal says one last thing. He says there are three things. 
that Shaul said back when at the beginning of the story. Shaul says to his Nar, where are the donkeys? Test one, the donkeys have been found. Question two, we don't even have a bit of bread. How are we going to pay the Navi? He gets bread from them. Let's find the Navi. He is now himself a Navi. It's an amazing, amazing idea. This trip home is transformational. And you're going to meet, go down to Gilgal. If you remember the map, at the very end is Gilgal, all the way on the right, all the way in the east, by the Jordan, the place that the Jews had come home to, the first stop in Israel. Seven days. Seven days I want you to wait there for me. I'm going to bring Korbanot. Now the problem is that when we get to the end of the parak, something else happens. This is a bazaar is talking about a future, a future event. And if in the future you're going to have to wait for me. What we're going to find out is that that is actually one of the challenges for Shaul. It's hard for him to wait. Not for the reasons that we would think. <laughs> Not because he's impatient. Not at all. But because there's pressure by the people to start. And they're going to say, come on. Let's get moving. Let's continue. Why are we waiting? He's going to have a hard time with that. So when it's time from he turns away, says that Mikra, says also the um Rav Aryeh Kaplan translation. It's he turns his shoulder, says Mitsudat Sion. When he turns his shoulder, meaning he turns away, he goes on his on his on his path. God gives him a different heart. And all of these, all of these signs, they all come true. He gets the givah. And what happens? He has nevuah. This is exactly what was predicted. Remember, this is the area of his home. Okay, so people know him there. The people that knew him from yesterday say, they see him prophesizing with other Nevi'im. Like, wait a second. What got into Ben Kish? Is Shaul also a Navi? Where is this? When did Shaul become a Navi? And then they ask, who's his father? Other people ask. And in the end, this phrase was coined, Hagam Shaul Benevim. Is Shaul a Navi? You would say that if you saw someone who you did not expect to prophesize, all of a sudden prophesizing. You'd be like, whoa! Hagam Shaul Benevim? It became part of their lexicon. Okay? Beautiful. Here's the fascinating part. Agam Shaul Benevim, this is not the only time that we have that expression. We have the expression Agam Shaul Benevim also in Perikud Tet. Fast forward two months from now. Eight more, nine more prakim ahead. Agam Shaul Benevim. 
This is towards the end of Shaul's career. Shaul knows that David, a little bit of a spoiler alert, he knows that David is going to challenge him for the throne. He hates David, but he doesn't. It's a little bit like hard to understand. The Steinsaltz has a beautiful idea about that that hopefully we'll share in the coming weeks. He has this inner pull. What am I supposed to do? So he tries to kill David. And he's chasing after David. And he ends up hitting Shmuel and saying Shmuel, hitting physically, but bumping into Shmuel. Says, Shmuel, tell me, where can I find David? And all of a sudden he starts prophesizing. And then when he starts prophesizing, it says there, Agam Shaul, Benavim. Same phrase again. What's interesting is that here, it's very dignified. There, he falls on the floor, and it's almost like a, a, a like a seizure, an epileptic fit. And all remember, all they wore back then were, were robes, long robes. His robes become like all tangled around his top, and his bottom, his waist becomes exposed, and they all see his nakedness. Hagam Shaul Benavim, two times, beginning and end. In one, it's exalted. It's Shaul entering into this. In the end, so it becomes Bizayon. Rav Bazak says that the tricky part of being a Navi is that you have to want it. You have to really want to be a Navi. And, and that's not so simple. Abarbanel points out that if you don't want to have Nevoah, it's not going to happen. But the line between wanting to be a Navi and succeeding and wanting to be a Navi and failing sometimes is very, very thin. And more than that, the line between being a Navi or appearing to be a Navi and the line between appearing crazy is very, very small. And that is really rooted in the phrase, Hagam Shaul Benavim. You can say it about a person that, wow, I didn't see that one coming that he'd be a Navi in a very like praiseworthy way. Or you look at a guy and say, really? I don't think he's a Navi at all. I think he's a fraud. I think he's nuts. Hagam Shaul Benavim. He finishes having Nevoah and he goes up to the Bama. Where did you go? We came looking, we went looking for the donkeys. And we we couldn't find them. So we found Shmuel. No, tell me, what did Shmuel say? He, what does he tell him? He tells him that Shmuel told me that I was going to become the, the, the and Shmuel told me that the donkeys were found. He does not mention anything at all about does not mention anything at all about the uh, him becoming the king. Why? Because it's a secret. The whole thing is, it's not supposed to be shared. Now, perhaps the reason why it's not shared is Rashi says, it's humility. But maybe it's a little bit different. He he has this amazing trait that, deserve, that makes him deserving of the king is that he doesn't want honor. Those are the best people. 
the sad part is that it's it's hard to sustain. And we'll see as time goes on, this humility, which is a strong character, character trait at the beginning, ends up being somewhat of a deficit at the end. Pasuket Zayin. We move on to the second part of the parak. I know that uh, we spent a lot on the first part, but hopefully we'll still be able to finish the parak. Shmuel collects all the people and sends them to Mitzpah. Now we've asked this question before. Why Mitzpah? Why this place? So one possibility is it's it's a beautifully central place. The people from the north can come down. People from the south can come up. It, it rides the road, the biblical highway, the 60 beautifully. So they'll all come and, you know, not far off in the center of Israel. That's a possibility. But perhaps there's another reason. Um, and here, I think we have to take a look a little bit at the uh, the story. So let's let's first understand a bit what is going on in um, Mitzpah. We actually have Mitzpah already. Ela Mitzpah says the Radak. It's a place from that we know from Sefer Yoshua and Sefer Shoftim. And why we meet here? Sham Hayam Mizbeach It had a Mizbeach. Great. It's a holy place. It's a place to daven. It's a place to bring korbanot. Beautiful. That's one possibility. Rabbi Zach says it's a place of tshuva. In Perak Zion, Shmuel gathers all the people in Mitzpah. And he tells them, we got to do tshuva. And they do it. And so perhaps he's bringing them back. They're hoping, hoping, hoping. Let me bring you back to that place. Not only that place, mitzpah, but that place that you were in when you got to mitzpah. He says, this is what God says. I brought you out of Egypt. I saved you. I took care of you from all the kings and all the people that bothered you. And you hate God. So he says, look, you rebelled against God. Now, this is almost word for word what the Malach says to the Jewish people in Shoft and Perak Vav right before Gidon. But there, it's clear that the message is you are worshiping idols. But they're not worshiping idols. They're not idol worshippers here. The Jewish people, for the most part, are God-fearing people in this story. So what exactly is going on here? Perhaps you could suggest that the question in both stories is a question of fidelity. Infidelity is the act of not being, um, not being faithful to one's spouse. The fidelity to God is obviously challenged when you worship idols. And the fidelity to God, when you ask, I don't want you to be my melech, but I want someone else to be my melech, is exactly the same thing. So what does he say? He says, gather everyone together. Why are we going to gather everyone together? Because we're about to pick the king. He gathers them all up, and they perform lotteries. And what happens? It starts off with all 12 shvatim. Which one is it going to be? Reuven, Shimon, Yehuda, Yisachar, Zulun, Dan, Naftali, God, Asher, Yosef, Binyamin, Yosef being Menashe, and Ephraim, and Binyamin is chosen, which is a Chiddush, because they're the smallest of the Shvatim. So now they separate them all by 
families. The family of Matri, of Matar, they got selected. Rebazak points out, we don't know any family named Matar. In fact, if you go back and look at Pinchas and all the families of Binyamin, that's not one of them. It is, Shol wasn't lying when he says to Shmuel, I am indeed one of the weakest, smallest of all the of all the families within the weakest of the tribes. But he said it's chosen. And then they try to say, okay, now that we're in Mishpach and Matri, they go through all the people and they say, oh, the winner is Shaul ben Kish. But they can't find him. The story sounds very familiar. This is the story of how they chose the the uh, how they figured out Achan was the sinner. They start with the Shevet, the families, etc., etc. Why go the same way? So Radak says, listen, if we had just said, the winner is, the new king is, long live Shaul, everyone said, what are you talking about? We refuse to accept it. So they use the Aron and the Urim Betumim, and they do this elaborate thing. So everyone will say, this is from God. But maybe there's another answer. Rebazak suggests that this is supposed to remind us of the story of Achan. It's not a positive thing. This is not a positive lottery. He wants everybody to know, God, Shmuel, that we're, we're not big fans of your request. There's a little bit of a negativity in there. And so that is what happens. The thing is, they're looking, they pick the king and they can't find him. There's another person. Marie Cross says, Hava od Alomich is saying, Where is he? Maybe he hasn't arrived yet. He's hiding. Where? With the with the vessels. It's almost like that you're you, you introduce the keynote speaker at a major event that nobody can find him. Where is he? He's quietly sitting in the coat room. Doesn't make any sense. They grab, they run, they take him from there. And they put him, and they walk him through the people. But because he's so tall, he just, everybody sees him because he's above everybody else. There's no one like him. God has chosen. And they all cry out. They scream out. Now, interesting, Vayariu could be to cry, to call out loud noise. Targum says, Vayavivu, they cried. Perhaps there's a little bit of a double play there. Yes, they're crying out, long live the king. It's great. Not 100%. Because what they're actually saying is, there's a little cry, this is our king. Shmuel keeps talking. Why does he keep talking? Maybe the reason why he keeps talking is because there's silence. Shaul doesn't say anything. So they're like, now what? The people are quiet. Shaul's quiet. The, the silence is deafening. So Shmuel says, fine, okay, I'll talk. This is the Mishpat of Melucha. He writes it down. He puts it before God. Shmuel sends them all home. The Gam Shaul goes home to his house and give doesn't go to the palace. He just goes home like a regular person. But there's a group of people that are inspired. They want what? 
They want this guy to be successful. So you know what happens? They follow him. They follow him home. But at the same time, there's a group of people that say, what? He's the guy? They don't give him anything. They don't give him a present. He's quiet. Marie Cross says, he pretends that it doesn't bother him. He's silent. Is his modesty good or bad? Yes or no? He's hiding in the coat room. Is that good or bad? The people say bad things about him and he's quiet. Is it good or bad? The answer is yes. Yes, it's good or bad. It's good. The Medrash actually quotes two different possibilities. One is, wow, this is amazing. Look at who he is. The other part of the Medrash says, no, it's actually not so good. The king should not be like this. The king has to stand for himself. He has to advocate. He has to have this presence to him. Not just that he's tall. I remember there was an NBA player that was like seven foot six. It was like, wow, it's amazing. But he wasn't any good. It's not such a gift to be tall. Yes, you can't teach tall. You can't teach height. But you got to be more than just tall. You have to have the capacity to play, the capacity to lead. Is Shaul's modesty good or bad? The answer is yes. It is so good. But let's understand that this is also his kryptonite. This is his weakest link. We have to follow along in Parakid Aleph and for many Prakim afterwards to see how it all unfolds. Thank you everyone again for joining us. Have a wonderful week and keep walking in the ways of the Prophet.